Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast and season three with me, Gemma Richards. As before, I invite a special guest to share their experience with food, namely friend or foe, whether it is easy or less so. In light of the first two seasons, it appears to be foe for many, as it was for me. But this doesn't have to always be. Exciting news. We started a crowdfunder for the podcast and to help fund anyone suffering with an eating disorder unable to afford one-to-one therapy. Check the link in our show notes, donate, leave a review. We're always so grateful. Because you know if this area of your life is skewed, then so is the rest. It's never just about food. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Tallulah Rendell. Tallulah is a world-renowned singer-songwriter, fresh from the studio where she's been recording her sixth album, and a multi-talented sound therapist and Qigong teacher. She blends gongs, singing bowls, and other instruments with her beautiful etheric vocals to create a profound healing space and what I'd describe as a cinematic oral experience, a little bit like an epic soundscape. If you ever get a chance to attend a gig, workshop, or gong bath with Tallulah, go. Your life will change for the better. Tallulah, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Oh, did you like my introduction? (laughs) That's the most amazing introduction ever. Really? Well, I did take a little bit from your website, but um, I've attended lots of your workshops and gong baths, and that's straight from the heart, otherwise I wouldn't say it. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Cinematic oral experience. Yeah. Landscape. Wow. Oral A-U, not O-R. Yeah, right. Thanks. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Glad we got that one sorted. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Shall we just, I'm just going to ask you off the top, your mm-hmm. relationship with food, because you know that this is about people's relationship with food. Yep. Is your relationship with food friend or or foe? Friend. Okay. What was the Mm. pause about? Uh, The pause was about uh, the journey that I've been on with it. Ah, and when did that start? When I became allergic to seemingly everything. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So when I was, uh, I guess, around 14, I got glandular fever. Oh, I had a fever too then. Did it? Well, the impact it had on me was it completely annihilated my immune system. Okay. And I became really hypersensitive to, well, to everything. If you had a cold, I had flu. But it also seemed to coincide with me becoming allergic to bread, wheat, sugar, chocolate, cheese, tomatoes, pork, like everything under the sun. That's really something at that age. So that was, it was pretty intense. And that it kind of, I remember it just being a real thing and just being really embarrassed about it. And if I did eat certain things and I would come out in rashes and it was just a, it was a thing, you know? Mm, mm. And then in my twenties, maybe it was my twenties, um, I was in Australia on a tour in a cinema on a day off and, uh, was watching a film with a friend and I suddenly passed out face down in this random stranger's lap next to me, happened to be a man, was a little bit embarrassing, and ended up in A&E. And it transpired that I'd become hyperglycemic, oh, which is a kind of precursor to diabetes. And then I had to go on this whole process again around changing my diet to eat slow-release foods and working out what I could eat to maintain a balanced 
um, sugar glyco- um, glucose level. And it was just a real thing, you know, it was really stressful and yeah. it took a long time to recalibrate my body. And it's been fine for years, but in fact, last week I I was doing I was out in Ibiza and I was running a session and we finished late. Um there were some challenges, stresses with the session. It was quite it was just quite a stressful day and I didn't end up mm-hmm. eating until midnight. And I uh, and I had another I had the first kind of hypoglycemic full crash that I've had in years. And it was it's just really scary. Really so what scary. happens? Because I have a little bit of that and my experience is I've never passed out as in crashed I will instantly go to sleep but I get Uh, clammy and lightheaded and a racing heart what what happens to you yeah so it's kind of it's similar to that it's similar to a panic attack in a way it's just that I get very very confused Mm. very very tired um I find basic questions really hard to answer and that in itself makes me feel panicked. And if I'm with someone that doesn't understand what's happening and becomes kind of agitated or stressed by the fact that I'm slightly going offline, that increases the panic within me. Okay. So last week I was having to explain to somebody what was happening and could see them getting really worried. Right. So it's quite a stressful experience to do that. But so then there's a kind of... um there's a mass, like complete confusion and that kind of comes with emotion and like the panic and kind of a bit of like some tears sometimes. But then as soon as I eat, like my shit, everything kind of comes back online, but, and it can normally happen quite quickly. But last week was the first time where I, the kind of envelope had got pushed too far and by the time I, we did manage to find food because it was so late and I did actually manage to get my, my sugar level back up again. I, it, I just kind of had, it was just so upset, like it just triggered such an emotional release, um, yeah. from the kind of the fear, the anxiety, the shame, the kind of, you know, we were walking into this restaurant trying to find food and the person I was with was like, God, you, you, you actually look like you're really wasted. Like you're really high or something. You look like you're just wired on drugs. Yeah. And it's just like that kind of like feeling of like mass vulnerability. Um, where does, where does the, I talk a lot about this on this podcast. Where does the shame come from? Fear, anxiety, and shame. Where's the shame? The shame comes from the part where I haven't self-cared. I haven't taken care of myself uh, in the lead up. I haven't kind of clocked, like I haven't been organized to have like a, I haven't eaten before I'm doing something or I've just trusted that it's going to be fine. Or there's like a part where it's like somehow I haven't looked after myself and then the repercussions of that have effects not only on myself, but on other people around me. Um, what, what do you have to eat to bring yourself back? Um, anything. Okay. Like anything, like most people want to give me sweet things and that's really like the last thing that I want, but that will kind of radically, like if you gave me a Coke, that will sort of kind of radically like boost you kind of, but then you kind of get a bit of a spike and yeah. So it's, it's a bit kind of, the whole thing's a bit precarious to be honest. And the next day. Yes. What's the next day like? Are you hungover? Yeah. There's like a real, like I'm wiped out. I'm Mm. really tired. I'm Mm. really sluggish and, um, and really emotional. I'm sure 
Mm-hmm. Is that because your adrenal glands have crashed yeah. spectacularly? Yeah, and this was... Um, so the hyperglycemia, I think, was triggered from touring. It was triggered as a consequence of having a, a weak body, like digestive system from the antibiotics. Um, as a consequence of the glandular fever, I was on constant antibiotics. So that Were really, you? yeah, really affected my digestive system. Wow. Okay. Probably the last thing that you needed to be on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I've forgotten the question now. What were you asking me? I uh, was, um, <laughs> no, I had it and then it flew out the window. Yeah. You, we were, uh, uh, adrenal, adrenal Adrenals, fatigue. Oh, yes, adrenal and then fatigue. that hangover the following day, yes. that emotional hangover and being really wiped out. Yeah. So what, um, when I was touring and it would, it would be really clear, it would be really prevalent. Um, I did see someone then and they was basically just told me that my cortisol levels were squiffy and that you know because of being on the road you'd kind of I'd naturally get be getting kind of an additional cortisol hit at kind of maybe 10 30 or 11 at night Mm. and the impact that that was having on my on my body um and also I mean I didn't I wasn't I've never been a massive drinker um but even like a glass of wine can really affect me and my sugar levels so kind of back in the days where you know I did drink more like I'd never like Never a huge amount, but even if I drank two glasses of wine or mm. two beers or something like that, then mm. it really had an impact on me. It's fascinating about glandular fever. In fact, I slightly exaggerated. I'm remembering I had glandular fever, I think probably when I was about 16, 17. And there's right. a lot of research about glandular fever being the precursor to possibly developing an eating disorder. Oh, really? Anorexia. Yeah. Oh, really? And it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's hard to diagnose in the same way as, as um, ME. Yeah. Um, but it seems to it seems to wipe your system out, mm. and yeah. it, it, it the whole all your systems just just crash. Yeah. And then your immune system doesn't work properly. Yeah. What to? I just want to go back to that time ar- around food because mm-hmm. it's very important, isn't it, to fit in when you're fourteen. Mm. Um, even though you think you're being an individual, you want to fit in with your, your friends, <laughs> yeah, particularly totally. girlfriends. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine that was, I mean, you said it was a thing. Mm. I imagine it was something quite big to manage. And I'm thinking if you couldn't eat all the list, the list of things that you said you couldn't eat, what, what did you eat? What could you eat? And how did that impact your relationship with your body and your kind of awakening sexuality and or in the sense of how you saw yourself as a, as a woman rather than a girl, you know, in that transitional period. Does mm, that make sense? Yeah. That's a really interesting question because I definitely, um, Hmm. That's really interesting. Cause as you know, as you asked me that question, I just, there's like a real blockage around that. Like right. I really can't remember. I don't know whether it's just kind of, beyond it being difficult yeah that's um, okay I can't I don't know how much I've blocked that that out but yeah in the kind of that interesting question around my sexuality um I definitely feel like I have been really disassociated with my sexuality okay and friends of mine always used to say to me, you're a really sexual person. You're a really sexual performer. You've got lots of, lots of sexual energy. Yeah, and I'm always I just like, like, really? What? It's mm. like, I feel really un, um, yeah, that's, I don't feel, 
um, that aware of it. Okay. And mm. with previous, in previous relationships, you know, partners of mine have said, God, you've just, you're just really flirty with everybody. You're really sexual. You've just got this real, <laughs> and I just be like, what are you talking about? It was just being me. What? <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until I was in a relationship with someone who I also felt was like really flirty and really sexual that I really kind of gate, I was like, oh, wow, is that what I'm like? Uh, and kind okay. of really kind of explored it a bit more. But um, yeah, I would say that there's kind of been a bit of a dissociation there was definitely a dissociation for a long time. I don't feel it so much now. I feel more kind of in my body and more connected. But yeah, did you feel did you mm. feel fragile? Oh God, yeah, yeah, definitely. I still feel fragile. Yeah, yeah, I still feel fragile. I still feel very high maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I have a high maintenance <laughs> ecosystem for but sure. But you're a musician and an artist. You're allowed to be high maintenance. I'm a human being. Yeah, you're a human being. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a human being who who has it like a very fragile nervous system. And this nervous system finds the way that society is very difficult. Yeah. I, yes, this is about you. It's not about me, but I can relate very strongly to what you're saying. <laughs> mm. um, so were you supported? Uh, okay, I know you're blocked about it and I won't... Um, I was I supported. Stay there, but yeah. Were you supported well? Yeah. So, um, my mum used to take me to a really amazing homeopathist who was incredible and really, I mean, really helped me with it. And it really cleared. Like I had loads of support around it, and it totally was something that I got to the other side of. Mm. And it didn't rear its head again until my twenties. So it was. Um, so I felt very supported by my family. Okay. Okay. Mm. And I think it was also like, um, because I went to boarding school when I was seven and there was a lot of abandonment issues, a lot of feeling neglected. I think because the whole glandular fever thing suddenly kind of, I kind of, I got attention. Uh So I think in actual fact, there's also a whole emotional side of, you know, me being sick actually meant that I got more attention from Did you? From yeah. people who previously hadn't given you any attention? Not any attention, but not as much as I may have wanted. Ah, so it becomes a currency, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I notice that occasionally now mm. that 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 pattern can kick in. It's like if I'm feeling really, yeah, it's interesting. I notice that um, sickness is a way that I get, I feel kind of connection from certain people in my life and that's, it's interesting that it's there's still a there's still a legacy of that somehow. Yeah, and these patterns they pop up, don't they? Mm-hmm. You yeah. think it's gone and and dealt with, and then here you are in later life going, oh, there you are again. Yeah, totally. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Hi, welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. Podcast? Poodcast? Seriously, I brought the wrong teeth in Tallulah. I'm with the lovely <laughs> Tallulah Rettle and um, I'm learning how to speak. <laughs> we were talking about, yes, and then learning how to sing. We were talking yes. about uh, sickness as mm-hmm. currency. Mm. My question to you 
because of my history with eating disorders. And I've interviewed lots of people who've had eating disorders on this podcast. It's not just about that at all. Mm. I'm very curious as to why you didn't develop an eating disorder, why it didn't Mm. strike you that it was a good idea that as you Mm. were um, excluding all these foods, Mm. you could just keep kind of tight rein on the foods that you did eat and therefore start to control your body because I imagine if you, you know, you're feeling ill, so you're not in control. Hmm. So it's really interesting. I like it's yeah. Never. I never. Um, yeah. It never. Like I've never made myself sick. I've never starved myself. I've, if anything, mm. like when I get depressed, I probably overeat. Oh, yeah. Like like I'm more of a kind of like ah, give me the chocolate. Okay. You know, um, that's more my kind of default. So I kind of know it's a kind of a bit of a benchmark when I'm really happy within myself. I'm I'm actually slightly thinner and I'm fitter versus when I'm feeling a bit depressed and a bit overwhelmed, I tend to be kind of slightly, maybe half a stone heavier. And how do you feel about that fluctuation? It can happen within a week. Yeah, because of the the kind of hyperglycemic, the way that I burn energy, I burn burn hot. Right, okay. (laughs) You know, I I, I need a lot of um, food protein to kind of, to sustain me energetically. Um, you know, singing just requires a huge amount of energy as, um, for me. Um, so I feel like I feel more confident in my, in myself when I'm at my kind of, when I'm eight and a half stone, I feel really comfortable in myself. I've really kind of, that feels really good. My body feels like my muscles feel good. I've got energy. Mm. Um, when I'm kind of nine or nine and a half stone, I feel like I just, I feel like I'm hauling myself around a bit more. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about performing? When I'm heavier. When you're heavier. Does it affect you? It tends to, I tend to like literally just as soon as I start performing, I tend to start burning weight. Wow. Because of the adrenaline. So interesting, isn't it? I'm just Mm. thinking about the stress response of too much stress and your body goes, nope, nope, not having it. We're going to pass out and, and rest deeply. Yeah. And then as soon as you're lit up, doing what you love and you're so brilliant at, you're on fire. Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, this is a very interesting conversation, Tallulah. What about, (laughs) listeners, this is a very interesting conversation (laughs) that I'm having. (laughs) What about when you are holding the space Mm -hmm. in a workshop Mm-hmm. And it's a very particular type of workshop because it's a healing workshop and that's yeah. a different technique. I or Not necessarily technique, but a different feeling maybe or intention yeah. than maybe giving a lecture where of course oh, totally. you're again holding a space or something. How does your, as we're talking about you, how does your body respond then? Is it the same as being on stage singing? No, it's very different. It's, I have to be... So when I'm on stage, I have to be really mindful of grounding my energy so that I don't get a headache. So uh-huh. it's really, I've really got to kind of, you know, it's making sure that I've eaten, that I stay really hydrated, that I kind of stay kind of conscious. Can I say conscious? It was really helpful for the audience. But stay yes. conscious Stay <laughs> conscious of like the ground and that really supports my body. When I'm holding space, if I'm doing a sound bath, again, there's that kind of the importance of eating and but 
I have to be much more mindful of my back because sure. there's this level of um, holding, holding the space and holding what comes up in the space and the na- nature of playing the instruments and being cross-legged and seated for, you know. Um, so I have to be more mindful of my lower back. And often if I'm not self-caring or there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the space, I might end up with a sore back. Yeah, because you sit cross-legged for a long time and that takes, it's exhausting to do that, isn't it? You think it looks easy. But there's also the kind of the energetic holding. Yeah. Just like, you know, there were, you know when, you, when you tense up your hold, you, your lower back. So if there's, um, if, the stre- if the space feels stressful, mm. then, so for example, if I'm really in my center and really in my practice, then my hypervigilance dissipates. Sure. But if I'm feeling slightly like my own stuff is up and I'm ha- and then I'm holding space, there's a kind of part where I'm, I'm having to do an element of work to just to kind of be able to show up and, and do my job. And so for example, when we were doing things at the conduit, um, which was some of the sound sessions that you came to. Yes, which is a place in, in London. And aren't we, you were, it was a gong bath, wasn't it? Yeah, it was gong bath with silver linings. With can, we just, can we go with Chrissy? Chrissy Sun, who's going to come on the podcast as well. Can we just quickly explain what a gong bath is? Can yes. you? Yes. So um, I use various instruments, a gong and singing bowls my voice, to basically relax people's nervous systems. And what happens is when there is, when you hear these tones, more often than not, your body comes into resonance, which creates a relaxation in the body, to be honest, Mm. to keep it very simple. And one of those things, the ways to do that is you bring people into resonance and then you might play something that's a little bit discordant, it takes them into resistance and then you bring them back into resonance and that kind of return into resonance creates a discharge of tension. And so you can become more and more and more and more relaxed and that enables the parasympathetic nervous system to kick in, which is that place of deep rest and rejuvenation. And, you know, the the kind of science shows that the more time we spend with that nervous system activated, the happier and healthier we are. Most of the time we're in our sympathetic nervous system, which is our kind of, right, I've got to have coffee, I'm answering emails, and boom, 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 boom. And if we're triggered, then you're in a hypersympathetic nervous system, which is when you're like super like fight or flight, you know. I never knew, sorry, go on. No, go you on. never knew. No, I, I would, never but, knew about the. <laughs> I never knew about the discordant nature mm. of it. Um, so that's something that I don't always do, but sometimes mm. I do. Do um, I do 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 it sometimes? You do do. Sometimes, do do. sometimes I'm just all about kind of relaxation, 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 relaxation. Um, it really depends on the space and kind of just tuning into the space. And, and that can sound really weird to say tuning into the space, but it really is a case of gauging the energy of the room. And again, you know, for anyone that's out there listening, um, out in the ether, um, you know, when you meet another human being, what it's like to meet that human being, you know, how your body feels. You might feel, you might meet someone and be like, Oh God, that person just feels really edgy. They feel really jarring. I don't, there's a, and there's a sense of you slightly recoil a little bit. And that's for some reason, there's a bit of resistance to you have to that person. Whereas you might meet someone else, like I might meet Gemma and I'm like, Way! and there's like <laughs> this real resonance and a real heart opening. And I feel like I really want to connect to that person. And that is very simply our nervous systems tuning to each other and seeing if, well, that's that 
that feels good, that doesn't feel good. And in a room full of people, you've suddenly got loads of different nervous systems and each one is kind of calibrated and doing its own thing. And I'm kind of just sensing what's going on in the space, like with each person, you know, are people getting agitated? You know, can you see people twitching? Is that like, and, and really kind of responding to what's going on in the room. And that affects what sounds I play, what instruments I play. Yeah. And it is an exquisite, exquisite experience. I, a a couple of things. Mm. I have this image of when you're on stage, Mm. if you were to draw the energy, because I, I imagine you circulating the energy sort of through your head, down through your body, around and up. And then in a gong bath or in a workshop with your arms outstretched and and holding, it's that whole lower part of the body. That's so actually, in fact, the practice is, is the, it's the <clears throat> latter one for both. It's really about bringing the energy up from okay. the ground for both. Okay. Um, and what happens more is like, it's this interesting thing. You could call it um, like when the sound bath, it's kind of creating the container. So it's creating the hold, holding. Whereas in a performance, you might term it broadcasting. It's like you're sending the energy out. It's like a kind of mm. where, which is more of a, a different energy to the holding of the space. Mm. Um, and it's um and I think I I well, I was at a festival at medicine festival over the summer and there was an amazing woman called Mira who was holding a medicine uh, movement medicine uh, set on the mm. on the main stage on the Saturday night and she's DJ facilitator and she wove it in a way where she was she was I felt like we were having this discussion afterwards. Was she holding the space or was she broadcasting? And there was this kind of weave between the two, like if that makes sense. And I'd never, I'd never kind of contemplated the word broadcasting before, but I think that's a slightly different thing that I happen when, what happens when I perform versus when I'm holding the space and, and I'm there, I'm there in service to what's going on. So in service to the emotions that are coming through for other people, there's often without fail, there'll be people in tears, um, letting go, there might be tears of joy, might be tears of just relief, um, releasing because so often we're not aware of um, what actually is going on in our bodies or we don't give ourselves permission to actually be really with what's going on and we kind of block it out. And so when we go into a space where someone's really inviting us to simply be with what's there, a lot can actually be released. Um, It can be very painful, can't it? It can be. And through that kind of release, then we can come back into rest. And from there we can move forward from that place of kind of um, open heartedness. So, yeah, it doesn't mean if, you know, if you come to one of my sessions, you're going to go through some traumatic experience. Yeah. The traumatic experience is already within you. I'm just helping you let go of it and come back to a place of equanimity. It, well, that's that's the intention. It, it's, no, that's what happens. That's what happens. I'm vouching for you. I'm laying, laying down on the line. I'm struck by the similarity um, with the parasympathetic, paras, mm-hmm. parasympathetic nervous system, the similarity with horses. Mm. And and that they are all about pressure and they respond to pressure. Huh. And when you work with horses in a positive way, mm. it's about applying a bit of that pressure and then releasing it. And mm. it's in the release. Mm. 
fascinating, except mm. they're prey and we're predators. Let's, mm. Mm, the resonance mm. of food, mm-hmm. the, uh, mm, what's that guy called? Oh, doctor. The medicine, the food is medicine doctor. No, not him. I'm now about to try and sit here for five minutes and remember the name. He, no, I'm going to go back to it. I can't, I can't sit here and, and burble. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about healing and food and sound mm. and what it is to feel, what it is, because I think a lot of people eat and don't enjoy what they're eating and don't feel nourished. Mm. And I think that a lot of people when they eat are in conflict for whatever reason and on many different levels. Mm. And this isn't about dieting or restricting. I'm thinking about what it is to feed yourself, to feed the body mm. in a nourishing way when, mm, 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 when you are in a state of awareness and consciousness. That's a bit nebulous, isn't it? Do you see what I mean? I think I see where you're going. I mean, there's this, what... I, I don't. Feel. I don't mean like what do you eat for breakfast to do. I mean no. there is there are there are ways of eating and things to eat yes. that will promote that. Yes, there are ways. And um, my kind of soapbox rant at the moment. Go for it. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Take um, me away is, from not remembering what I'm saying. Okay, great. Is <clears throat> that I feel like we live in a society that doesn't create the conditions for for health. Mm-hmm. So. If you are in a path of meditation and trying to move away from addictions, whether that's alcohol or your telephone or sex or drugs or Netflix or whatever, we're not in a container that is designed to do that. We're in a container that is designed for us to buy more of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, we're in a container that wants us to buy sugary things because that props up the the kind of you know big pharma because if people are out of if people are more diabetic people, that's that's good for big business on the kind of far, big pharma side of things. Can I interrupt so, you? Yes. <laughs> did you hold on to it? But did you know <laughs> that when sugar first came into this country, it was used like uh, it was used like a stimulant, like cocaine, and there would be piles yes. of it on the tables. Yeah, because no one had had sugar in that way. Yeah, other than the yes, like the potato blight in Ireland and. When foods become alcoholic, then that changes the system, doesn't it? But the sugar that we know, and it's pretty young, isn't it? It's not been around for very long. And it's, you know, so you've kind of got that paradigm, but what if, you know, there's kind of totally this like childlike part of me that wants to believe, what if we lived in an ecosystem where, you know, we weren't um, pushed or... it's not even pushed isn't the right word. It's just what's in the framework. You know, if we, if actually we were educated at a really young age that, you know, if you were going to have the Chinese, like a Chinese system of food, I remember doing a, a nutrition retreat and worked out that the best thing for me to eat actually in winter was carrots cooked in ginger, um, red cabbage with garlic and egg, and maybe a little bit of mackerel. Yeah, that was actually like the best thing for me to eat to be really kind of um, healthy, happy, happy body. And that's actually 
except for the mackerel, which obviously nowadays, because of all the, you know, the fish side of the conversation. Mm, mm, mm. But, you know, if you were just looking at your egg and your carrots and your cabbage, that's actually a very cheap breakfast food that you could be eating versus, but then you've kind of got the cereals, the cocoa pops, the Kellogg's, all that kind of stuff, the, the, the over-processed bread um, and all those kind of things. But so when I've had this conversation in the past with people who are like, oh, you're just speaking like a kind of middle-class affluent person, you can choose between, you know, your cabbage and your cocoa pops. Um, when in actual fact, you could actually get you know, a cabbage and a whole bunch of carrots would be cheaper than buying X amounts of packages of Kellogg's and Cocoa Pops. But it's a small effort. You know, I, would, and- I would also say if you are middle class and affluent, then you do have the privilege and responsibility. So you have the responsibility to choose that anyway, because you can, mm. you do have the choice and so make the right choice. But I was just thinking for kind of, you know, the, you know, the demographic of the population that haven't had that bit of education. For sure. That there, it's just a real shame that we're sold... Like that, we're sold to buy bad food, mm. bad, cheap. What do you um, think bad food, food is? What's your definition of bad food? Bad food for me is just full of sugar, full of preservatives. I mean, it's kind of, you know, think suddenly what's popping into mind is a Haribo. Okay, <laughs> but like just like things that you know, you kind of look at the content, like the look at the back of the packaging, and it's like, what's actually in there that's of of net, net, what's actually in there that's of any good that's not just stimulating your system in some way do you see now if I had a packet of Haribo's I'd be passed out within about 20 minutes mm. and teary afterwards and obviously you'd be passed out for days do you go into really bad food good food I was talking to a guy called Nico Algieri who was on the podcast and we're going to do something a bit more but we talk about good foods and bad foods and his are in relation to what fuels his workout so he eats what he says is good food works yeah. out and then he eats junk food and he feels <gasps> that everything then is undone. Huh. My yeah. definition also of a bad food or it's slightly wider is that how much harm has happened mm. to put that food on the table, mm. which is why I totally. choose not to kill yeah. another being, although I do have the old muscle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And yes, so I find it's not just what's in the food and, and the uh, industries that are being supported and et cetera. Mm. It's, it's what happened to the environment and yeah. does so some, something I mean, have to die for me to have it when I don't you need see, it to um, die? Did you see um, Seaspiracy? No, I haven't. It's really, I mean, I watched that and that was like the nail in the coffin for me eating fish. Occasionally I still, like occasionally I slip because I really, yeah. really like it. Me too, but, um, me too. But that was it. When I watched that, I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. I just, it was just such a wake up call, you know, such a wake up call to what's actually going on on this planet when it comes to the food that we eat and the animals that we're eating and the extinction of all these different species and the kind of the irony that what seems to be lost is that the trajectory, you know, we are we are on that trajectory just as other species are becoming extinct that just gets closer and closer to our own extinction yeah exactly you know? that's a really good time to take a break that we're <laughs> all going to die <laughs> we're getting heavy we need, get light. we need to get light <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Hi, welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Tallulah Rendell. 
and we finished on extinction and we're all going to die. <laughs> I think we should wrap it up there. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> Everyone have a good day. Yeah, have a really good day. <laughs> I, would, I, I would like to, um, so yes, moving swiftly on, very professionally. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> I would like to talk about, uh, first off, I've started this series called This Extra Food Thing Tallulah, which is short 10-minute videos, which is an experiment to focus on just one thing. Hmm. And I would like to talk to you, and I'm telling anyone that's listening, I would like to talk to you about the effects of bulimia on your vocal cords, particularly if you're a performer, hmm. or actually any eating disorder. Um, hmm. But that's going to come at a later date. What I'd like to talk about is... Hmm. If you have some kind of conflict around food, hmm. you are in some way, different tones of it, at war, that's quite strong, with your body, or you're in mm -hmm. conflict with your body and how you feed yourself, how you nourish yourself, how you feel about yourself, because it's about feelings. Hmm. When you um, then are interested in resonance and sound hmm. and like sound therapy, hmm. how could that help someone? who's I've never I've never had someone like you on the podcast where it's like tell me how you your professional life could help someone who's let's say has an eating disorder or bringing them back into their body because you're not in your body when you have an eating disorder mm. you're out there it's too painful it's too painful mm. to be in that in in that place so as you ask that question what comes through for me mm. is it's a bit like what I was saying before about this space holding and through through the sound session, through the session, through the therapy session. It's creating this really self-container, um, safe container for that person to be able to come back into their body and feel safe through the way that I use my voice, through the different instruments. So there's this opportunity to actually just come back in a little bit closer. And one of the things that I would say as my assumption mm. would be that there is a sense of not being in connection in a loving connection to yourself not not saying you oneself no it's true <clears throat> and through the session i would really focus through the different instruments and meditations of really bringing that person into that place of connection of tuning into the love that is really at the ground of their being and my assessment my assumption my my thought would be that if i can create a space which would enable someone to actually come back into that place of really beginning to nurture their own self-love and self-care and the awareness that they are enough, that they are love, that there is love. And that can sound a bit etheric, but, you know, from how I practice and my teachings and my teacher <clears throat> is really tuning into that love that is at the core of creativity, that is the core of the energy of this planet. You know, we live in an ecosystem which is coming from a place of creative abundance. You know, if you look outside mm. the trees, the yeah. plants, the animals, life itself is is lovingly creative. That's And that love, um, kind of tuning your awareness to tune into that love as a source of resource um, to bring that sense of connection to yourself and to to nature and nurture and a, that 
that kind of coming back to yourself and coming back to the natural world as a source of nourishment, of bringing love, so that there's this place of being able to then kind of move forward from a place of groundedness and open-heartedness. So you're kind of back in your body a little bit more. You're kind of able to tune into your heart a little bit more and really creating the neural pathways through the sound and through the therapy to create a stronger neural pathway, stronger, stronger, stronger. So that actually when you come to that point of basically self-harming, there's this realization of I am self-harming. Mm-hmm. And in that point of when you're about to self-harm, if there's a way to then come back into one of the practices to bring you back into that place of of nourishment, of loving, of care, of um, of really building up someone's self-esteem so that they know that they're worthy of love and that they are lovable and that they are loving. And the best way to do that is to, I would say is to create practices that, that enable them to do that for themselves. And with sound therapy or with sound, mm. because the resonance mm. is felt yeah. in the body yeah, and it's non- non-threatening, yeah, yeah. Soothing. soothing. Although yeah. some people might not feel anything because they feel frozen, so they might, but they will mm. hear it. Mm-hmm. It's a starting point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've never worked with somebody that hasn't felt it. Really? Because when you're putting it, when you're putting the bowls on the body, ah, you know, you're, you're getting that direct resonance. You're feeling that, and I mean, I think with the, if you're in a sound bath and you're, they may not feel the bowls, but they'll definitely feel the gong. I mean, you can't not feel that gong. It's like no, the you earth, can't. The earth moves when that thing yeah. gets going. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, it's just that compassion, that love, you know, the, I notice for myself that I, the times where I make decisions that are not good for myself, there's just moments when I'm feeling that I'm not worthy and I'm, and I'm not enough and I don't Mm -hmm. deserve any better. And therefore it's okay to treat myself like or be treated like That's the bedrock Um, of everything, not feeling good enough and not feeling worthy. Yeah. So how do we change that framework? And we change that framework through practice, through it, you know, it takes work to change that framework. Do you think your system, back to the glandular fever, Mm. the endocrine system collapsing, Mm. you're constantly healing your system, aren't you, through your work? Yeah, I'm constantly healing my system through my work, through my life experiences, through, you know, the experiences that I had between seven and 16, I'd say, Mm. uh, things that I'm still, um, navigating for myself, my sense of abandonment, the the various different traumas that happened for me. And I, you know, I grew with those traumas in my, as my neural pathways. So it's, it's a process of continually working on those things to change them. Have you ever had issues around your voice? Yeah. Do you, so if you've had a crash, does your voice, is it diminished? Um, Do you lose your voice? Yes, but I actually lost my voice for about six months when I was recording my first album. And it was such a stressful experience that the muscles in my neck just completely froze and my voice just became so quiet. 
it was such a whisper and I had to go through a whole kind of vocal therapy to basically relax my neck muscles. I just had to see an osteopath um, and retrain my vocal cords because I basically froze. That's extraordinary. And it just makes me think of that manifestation yet again of things just collapsing and stopping and yeah, when something is just too much, it's just like your body going, no, yeah, no. And um, I was one of the reasons that I think I, I'm i so drawn to help people with their voices, not to become amazing singers or to, I mean, you know, if you want to learn vocal theory, don't come to me. That's not, that's not you know, good luck, <laughs> Are you good saying you mate. can't read music? I can read music, but that's not like, that is just not my thing. I am not, it's not my thing at all. But if you come to me because you're holding anxiety and fear and around not being enough and wanting to nourish that part of yourself through your voice, then I'm your person. This is um, true. That's why I came to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's my experience. You know, I was, you know, I lost my voice. I was told not to sing. I was told I wasn't, didn't, you know, I was kicked out of choirs for not fitting in. And, you know, I've, I spent my whole life, my voice is my, my instrument in life, you know? Yeah. And that I'm lucky in that there is a kind of resilience in me, a tolerance in me as a consequence of the traumas and the difficulties that I've experienced in my life that have just kind of put, kind of slightly drive me to put two fingers up and just to keep going, you know? Yeah. So there's a strong will. Yeah. There's a strong will. Well, yeah, that's felt. I, Hmm. um, yes, I also lost my voice and it's very traumatic and, but it's extraordinary on unpicking it all to find your way back. Yeah. And the result's always different, isn't it? Yeah. I have a quick question for you before we wrap Mm -hmm. up. Yes. Um, But we are going to talk more about this. I want to talk Mm -hmm. about the effects of uh, losing your voice and food disorders, and particularly if you're a performer. It's very, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. Yeah. If you were on an island. Yes. Any island. Yes. And you were to take five foods with you. Ooh. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. What would you take? Avocado. Yeah. Mm, love an avocado. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, papaya is dropping into mine. I have no idea why. Okay. You've never had one in your life, but you're going to take never it had to the one, island. But I would take it to the island. I love a papaya. <laughs> um, some papaya. Hmm. And then I have to lime with the papaya. Lime and the coconut. Um, yes. So, the, oh, coconut. I would take a coconut because then I've got the yummy, yummy okay. coconut and then I've got coconut water. Mm-hmm. So that's... Avocado, papaya, and coconut. Coconut. Um, (laughs) There's no pressure. There's no pressure. You're not going to take anything that you'd say is a bad food. No, but like I don't want to forget a really good one. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to take Twiglets? No one's taken Twiglets yet. No. I don't know what else I want to take. Uh, the, like the really practical part of me is like, oh, I should probably take some kind of like potatoes. Okay, you've oh, got like, potatoes, you know that's good. And the last one, <laughs> you've got to get to the end. Oh, I would take, I'd take some sweet potatoes because then I could roast them on the island. Sweet okay. potatoes. And um, one more. I can't think. Come on, you've got to improvise here. You've just can got I take to take a goat? It. Yes. Yes, you can, <laughs> but you mustn't kill it. You must pet it. No, I'm going to pet it. I'm going to okay. have puddles and have some goat's milk and goat okay, cheese. That's fine. So random. 
It's so random. Tallulah, thank you so yes. much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> this week, the thing. Um, Tallulah is tallulahrendell.com. We'll have all her information on our Instagram page. As I said at the beginning, if you get a chance to do some work with her or go to a workshop or go to a gong bath or a gig, go. Or you can buy her album. Aww. I should have gone into an A&R, shouldn't I? You really Tallulah, should have. Yes, brilliant. Yeah, you're brilliant. Another missed opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. A quick note for our listeners who aren't on Instagram. This Food Thing podcast is taking a break over the holiday season. We'll be back on January the 3rd, 2022. Happy, happy Christmas and holidays to you all. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>